Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. So, it is the winter time. It is cold where I live, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation to to brighten me up and warm me up. It's dreary outside here, so let's get off this dreariness and let's get into the review of the week. So, this one was really really cool. I was going to pull some reviews, and I didn't know this one went out there. So this one is from Eric Nevin, and he he wrote this, and it got submitted to uh, the podcast uh, magazine. So that was really, really cool to find this in there. So this one says, when it comes to podcasts for Christian men, shows are generally either overhyped discussions about theology complete with cigars, whiskey, and a generous helping of machismo, or they're audio versions of a wet noodle, life, lifeless and limp. So when one comes across a podcast that values the part men play in a family while also challenging him to take responsibility I have to take note. The Journey of a Christian Dad podcast hosted by Dan Lewigs is that show, and it's well worth the listen. He's got a great voice for podcasting and knows his stuff. He speaks with conviction and thoughtfulness as he talks with guests. Production's high quality, great audio, regular release. Recent episodes include how to thrive when you're a busy dad, how to make your family unshakable, and why your mistakes do not define you. He gets into the issues men face and explores a Christian way of handling them. His understand his way of understanding that while men won't always get it right, they should be encouraged to avoid getting it, going it alone, renders this one podcast that is one that truly makes a difference. One can be masculine and still love one's family well, even if it means learning on the job. So thank you. Eric, Eric also runs a Christian podcast association. So shout out to everybody from CPA that listens to this and shout out to you, Eric. Thanks so much. That was a really generous, super cool review. So, all right, with that said, let's jump in today. We are talking with one of the co-authors of Milestone to Manhood, a Christian rite of passage to help your 13 year old son make the leap from boyhood to manhood. So we have got Stephen Arms on with us today, and I'm super excited. Stephen, the audience is like, all right, which guy are we talking to? Dad, the son. So in this case, the son. So how old are you, Stephen? I am 31 years old. Right on, right on. Well, happy to have you. So jump in. Tell us a little bit about you, your dad, your your kind of upbringing. You know, what, what happened at age 13 or what happened at age three that's of relevance that guys are going to want to know about your backstory? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. I come from a family of four boys. I am uh, number two in the birth order. And uh, really what's what we're here to talk about today is a family tradition in my family where when a boy turns 13 years old, my dad and 
um, the other men in the family. So my grandfather and my two uncles, Uncle Dan and Uncle Kirk, um, would take the boy away and have what they would call a rite of passage weekend. And the purpose of the rite of passage weekend was to create a an event in the boy's life that he could look back on and know that was the moment that I became a man. That weekend was the weekend that I became a man. And, you know, really when we look at other cultures from around the world, we see these other coming of age ceremonies. The most popular is probably the Jewish bar mitzvah. Another example would be in the Australian Aboriginal society, they have the walkabout where a boy is sent off into the wilderness for three to six months at a time. And when he comes back, he's no longer considered to be a boy, but he's a man of the tribe and he's <laughs> eligible. Yeah. And he's eligible for marriage. So, so they send him out with a spear or like <laughs> I'm dying exactly. to know this. 13 years old. They send him out into the, into the wilderness with a spear and they say in three months, come back and you'll, you're not going to be a boy anymore and you'll be a man. I would not, so, I, I would not recommend that guys. Don't, don't go, <laughs> don't go that way. Yeah. That, <laughs> the aboriginals, it seems like have developed some survival things and taught these to their kids where a lot of us guys haven't had uh bear grills in our backyard, teaching us how to survive in the wilderness for 13 years before we're set out. Yeah. That, you know, that works well for them in their society, but um, that doesn't necessarily work well for a boy in you know 2022 making the transition from boyhood to manhood. Sending him off into the wilderness for three months by himself wouldn't really be that helpful. So my dad and my grandfather thought, well, what would be helpful for a boy? And they came up with uh, a number of different kind of rituals or steps that go along the weekend to help the boy form his own vision of what it means to be a man. You know, inevitably boys today, they're shaped by the culture, right? YouTube, the internet, television, their peers. Those are the things that are defining what manhood means to them. They're having an influence over our boys. But the purpose of this rite of passage weekend, one of the purposes is to give the boy a different version of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a good man, what it means to be a godly man, and kind of counteract the influence that the culture at large is having on our boys. Yes, 100%. I, I think at a younger age, it's so important to teach our kids and instruct them that we got to live differently than the world. And yeah, let them know about all those messages that you just talked about, like that you can allow them to influence you. You can even buy into it, or there's a different way to live. And the, the different way to live is the way we live. Absolutely. You know, in the absence of a rite of passage, in the absence of a father holding a rite of passage for his son, boys will try to prove their manhood to themselves. And what this looks like today is the sexual conquest of women. You know, you hear guys say things like, she made a man out of me, or video game addictions. Right. In a lot of video games today, you can literally go out and slay a dragon or kill a terrorist. Like that totally feeds into the male ego as a warrior, proving himself as a man. If I slay this dragon, then I come back as a man. Um, another way that boys try to prove their manhood to themselves is through violence or joining a gang. 
you know, uh, when boys get in fights, essentially what they're doing is they're saying, if I can prove my physical superiority over another man, that that means I'm a bigger man than him. I'm a better man than him. So all of these are examples of ways that boys try to prove their manhood to themselves. But what we argue is that if a father takes the initiative and tells his son, son, I want you to know in my eyes, I no longer see you as a boy, but I see you as a man. Then the boy doesn't have to prove it to himself because his father has affirmed his masculine identity. And that's what this weekend is all about. This rite of passage weekend is all about passing down manhood from one generation to the next. So recently I've been reading about creating things and consuming things. So you talked about uh, video games, uh, which is very similar to social media. You can jump on, do something that's easy, sitting on your couch, climate controlled and consume. And at yeah. the end of that, what's your feeling of accomplishment? None. None. You get to the end of the level of the video game or the end of the game and you're like, that was it? That was it? Like nothing. Where when you're doing something hard, you know, you finish a 5K race or you finish a marathon, like, huh, I did something. I did something. This feels good. Yeah. Uh, you know, even people around you are celebrating you. Or when you win the video game, okay, man, like what's next? What other video game? You know, like nothing. So it's that ease versus doing the hard thing. Uh, we're talking, we're going to talk about getting out a little bit. So the campfire type thing, campfire is one of the few, or a fire in nature is one of the few things in nature that creates its own light. Uh-huh. We're at home. We've got the light switch. So right. we've got the easy button or we got the hard way. When you build your own fire, you sure get a whole lot more accomplishment out of the consumption, the the flip and the light switch, you're paying somebody for electricity as opposed to creating your own light. Like yeah. that's a big deal. And that's part of transition to manhood. You got to teach your kid how to use a knife and how to make a campfire. Absolutely. I think you're touching on something about what it means to be a man. I think a man is living for others where a boy is living for himself. So, you know, the, to go back to the video game analogy, when you're playing a video game, you're essentially focused on yourself and your own pleasure. Um, when you're doing something creative, whether that's writing a letter to a loved one or giving attention to your child, you're pouring yourself out to somebody else. And that is the mark of a man. The mark of a man is someone who is focused on living for others before living for himself. Yes. Yes. 100%. So your dad, um, let me see if I got that right. Your dad wasn't necessarily a hundred percent prepared to do this rite of passage at the time where he thought, Hey, this would be a important for my sons. So my dad um, grew up really without a father figure in the house. His parents separated when he was five years old and then his father. So my paternal grandfather passed away when my dad was 17 years old. He had actually moved down to Mexico where he could afford um, 24 hour health care because he had multiple sclerosis. So, between the ages of five and 17, my dad only saw his dad three times in his life. So, he really grew up without a father figure in the house. And when he met my mom, he knew that my mom was the type of woman who 
was going to have a lifelong marriage, you know, and that was really important to my dad because that's, he didn't have that growing up. And when my dad got married and had kids of his own, it was really important to him that he was going to be the type of dad that he didn't have. He wanted to be a loving father that was encouraging, that played an active role in his kids' lives. So uh, when my older brother turned 13, my dad wanted to do something special to kind of mark his entrance into manhood. You know, the Jewish bar mitzvah occurs at 13. So there's something special about that age. It is a little bit on the young side to tell a boy that he's a man, but my dad was thinking, you know, it's probably better to initiate a boy into manhood a little bit too early rather than a little bit too late. So he wanted to do something special for my older brother on his 13th birthday, but he didn't really know what that was going to look like. So he brought his kind of conundrum, his problem to my grandfather, his his father-in-law, my maternal grandfather. Now, how cool is that become... to have his wife, father, is that right? Get that yes. right? Yeah. Like the resources right there. Like he happened to marry into a family that's got what he'd been missing all those years. Yeah. His father-in-law, my maternal grandfather, really stepped in and became that father figure in my dad's life. He was the dad that my dad never had. Um, and he was someone that he really looked up to and he played a huge impact. He had a huge impact on my life too, as his grandson. So my dad kind of took his problem to my grandfather and said, I want to do something special, but I'm not sure what to do. And my grandfather thought, well, you know, in other cultures, they have these rites of passage. Why don't we organize something like that, um, for, for your boys and, I can come along too. So that it's not just dad and son, because there's kind of at 13 years old, there's kind of some tension developing between father and son, right? The boy is getting older and wants some more independence. Um, he's becoming a teenager. So there's this tension developing between father and son by getting other men involved, men who are not dad, it helps to break through to the boy in a way that he might actually listen it might be a piece of advice that dad has been saying for the last three months, but just hearing it come out of the mouth of a man who's not dad, the helps the boy for, helps the advice to sink into the boy. So for my rite of passage, it was my dad, my grandfather, and then my two uncles who took me away for my rite of passage weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes your kids can't hear you but they can hear from another person pretty quickly. So yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're involved in sports teams and stuff like that, if you're not the coach, you know, you can mention to the coach and your kid might hear from the coach in a much different way than they hear from you. Flip side, if you're the coach, maybe go tell one of the assistant coaches and have them work with your kid on something. But yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic advice and wisdom right there. Yeah. It takes a village. You know, I think it goes back to that saying that, it takes a village to raise our kids and um, fathers are definitely the most important male role model in a boy's life. Ideally he should be the one to organize a weekend like this, but it's important to get other men involved too. So that it's not just a one-on-one -on -one trip with dad. Yeah. Yeah. I love having other guys involved as well. And then 
I can <clears throat> hear people thinking already, okay, yeah, that sounds great, except for who would go with us? Who would go with us? Like yeah. maybe, maybe you've got a few guys in mind and you think there's no way they would want to come. So what is, what is the likelihood of whoever these guys are thinking of right now that the other guys would want to come on a trip like this? So my dad was lucky because it was built into our family, right? It was his father-in-law and his two brother-in-laws that went along with him on this weekend. Uh, other families, you know, you, other dads might not have that built into their family. So then you need to look outside of your family to your your extended, you know, your friends and to your extended family. Uh, really, I would say when you're trying to identify men to invite along on this trip, there's really three cr criteria. The first criteria is that they're a man, right? Um, only men can pass down manhood to a boy. This is not a knock on women. Women are beautiful in their own ways, you know, but uh, women cannot pass down manhood to a boy because you can't give what you don't have. You know, they can pass down womanhood to a girl, but they can't pass down manhood to a boy. So the first criteria is that you, it has to be a man to go along on this trip. Um, the second criteria is that it should be someone who has a previous relationship with your son. The weekend should not be the first time that your son is meeting this man because you're going to be giving, this man's going to be giving advice to your boy. So he should have a previous relationship with him and it should mean something. That advice should mean something. And then third, it should be the type of man who you want your son to be the man that you invite should be a good man. Um, and he should be someone who you trust to shape your son because part of the weekend is having discussions about what it means to be a good man, what it means to be a godly man. So once the weekend kind of starts, you can't necessarily control what this man is going to say. So there's a, a real big element of trust there. You want to invite a man who you trust to have a positive impact on your son. So I think if you use those criteria, I think there's a very close to a hundred percent chance that man will say yes, being invited. I think so too. Yeah. Um, you know, when we, before we wrote this book, we would tell people about this family tradition, the 13 year old rite of passage and men's responses, it was always this. The first was, wow, that is so cool. I wish my dad did that for me. And then the second response is, I'm going to do something like that for my son. So in general, when men, especially good godly men, when they hear about this, they're like, wow, that's really cool. How can I get involved? Yes. Yes. 100%. I've got another buddy lives where I live. He wrote a book as well. It's not in print anymore, but uh, he had his sons or daughters plan out an entire trip. So they, he calls it a trip for life, but he says, Hey, you know, where do you want to go for your ex birthday? It's all on you. And here's your budget, four grand, two grand, five grand, whatever the number is, but yeah. plan anything you want within this time frame and within this budget. And let me know what we're doing. So they literally plan the whole thing out, what roads we're taking, what car we're taking, what all the stuff, how much gas costs, uh -huh. like everything. And uh, one funny story, the guy, the guy's kid, they go to the rental car place and they're like, you want this must, this convertible Mustang or you want that SUV? He's like, give me the Mustang. The guy behind the counter is like, are you sure? You're going to be able to fit all your stuff in there? Yep. 
I rented the convertible Mustang. Give us the convertible Mustang. And, you know, of course, the luggage doesn't fit in it. Yeah. And they've got leftovers like an eight cylinder, something or other, some cool car that's big. And the dad goes, All right, back up, do your calculations. How much money do we have left? And oh, by the way, this is an eight cylinder, not a four or six cylinder. And the gas mileage is, <laughs> do math on how much gas cost, mile per gallon, and, you know, how much we got left for the rest of this trip. Do we got to adjust anything? <laughs> I'm sure it made for a memorable trip, though. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Every time any of the adults looked at dad as, all right, what do you guys want to do? He's like, ain't on me. Look at my 13 or 15 year old kid. Well, what I really like about that is that it teaches the boy or the girl leadership responsibility, right? They have to make decisions that are not just going to affect him, but they're going to affect other people as well that are going along on the trip. And ultimately that helps them as they grow up and they have to make bigger decisions, right? where to go to college, what major to pick, what first job to pick, who to marry, you know, picking a spouse, I would say is the biggest decision that you'll ever make in your life. So having our teenagers learn how to make small decisions, small leadership decisions will help them as they grow up and they have to make these bigger decisions later in life. Yes. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. One thing I love that you transfer in this is the confidence that you have in your child. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when your dad did something, said something, or maybe one of the guys on this trip for you did something that instilled a confidence in you? Yeah. So one of the kind of rituals or steps on the weekend is the giving of a family heirloom to the boy. So uh, partway through the weekend, my dad gave me a silver dollar coin, um, which his dad had given to him during one of his trips to Mexico. Uh, It was really valuable to my dad because, like I said, he didn't really have a relationship to him. So this was one of the only things that he had that physically reminded him of his father. And when he gave that silver dollar coin to me, he said, you know, this is something that has a lot of sentimental value to me. It's a family heirloom. And now that you are a man of this family, I trust you to take care of it. I want you to have it. And one day you can give this to your son. So that was really one really cool way that the father could show that sense of trust in the boy now that he was becoming a man. Yeah, that is a huge level of responsibility and trust. I know I'd be looking at my dad. Are are you sure? (laughs) I don't know that I'm ready for this. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, my grandfather and my dad, when they were making the weekend, they thought, you know, it's things like that, that will help the boy feel like, okay, now I'm trusted. It makes him feel like a man because these other men are trusting him, right? To go back to what we were talking about earlier, If we sent the boy out, if they had sent me out into the wilderness for three months and said, survive on your own, when you come back, you'll be a man. I mean, I might have been able to do it, probably not, but it wouldn't have been beneficial to me. It wouldn't have really built up my masculine identity or my confidence in myself. But they came up with these other rituals, like the giving of a family heirloom that were meant to be impactful for a boy growing up in the early 2000s. Yeah. So some questions that uh, people have in general are, does my dad love me? 
Yeah. Am I good enough? Is he proud of me? Like, is he proud of me? Is a huge, huge thing. I was reading about Pete Rose when he broke Ty Cobb's record, and they said, "Pete, what do you think?" He says, "I think my dad in heaven is looking down upon me, and I think he's proud of me." Wow. Dr. James Dobson, he was 80 years old. He got some huge lifetime award and he's up front and he's looking out at the crowd and a tear comes to his eye as he's getting ready to speak. And he says, I hope my dad's proud of me. 80 years old and he's yeah. still looking to his earthly father. I hope my dad's proud of me. I hope this, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And think about all that pressure that you put on yourself to perform, to make your especially dad proud uh, Kobe Bryant played in the same summer league that his dad played in and that his grandfather played in dad and grandfather were both stars. Uh-huh. Kobe went pointless. Didn't score a point the whole summer in the league that dad and grandpa were stars. Kobe's down on himself big time. His dad comes up to the court, puts his arm around him and says, Kobe, I'm proud of you no matter what. You don't have to score a single point for me to be proud of you. And Kobe said at that point, that was where things flipped. I no longer had to excel to earn my dad's love or for him to be proud of me. I now could just get out there and get after it. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. It it lit a fire underneath me to excel and I no longer was playing with fear. I'm like, oh my gosh, how great is that? Yeah, no kidding. It's amazing. I think a lot of men don't realize how much influence we have as fathers over our sons and daughters, how, how much of an important role we play in their lives as their dads. You know, as Christians, we believe that God is a loving father and inevitably we as children project our belief about God. Um, we, we project our relationship with our own father onto our beliefs about God. So when a father, when an earthly father says things like, I love you and I'm proud of you, then we as humans, we believe that God loves us and God is proud of us. And that's why the role of father is so important because we emulate the role of God in our children's lives. Yes, yes, absolutely. So yeah, if you've got a challenging relationship with your dad and that love hate thing is there, it's tough to truly embrace God the father's love. Absolutely. You know, so yeah, we, we definitely, kids definitely do project. And as we grow into adults, adults project and struggle with that. So that one's one I hear all the time. Even if you got the greatest dad in the world, you still have hangups sometimes. So what did that, what did that rite of passage ceremony do for you personally? I think the rite of passage impacted my life in two ways. For one, as a teenager, I was very confident in my masculine identity. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that, you know, I, as a teenager, I had like this big puffy chest and huge biceps and was a man's man as a teenager. What I mean by that is that anytime another adult outside of the family, whether it was like a parent in Boy Scouts or a teacher at school, whenever they would say things like, boys, boys, settle down, be quiet. The first thought in my mind was, I'm not a boy, I'm a man. My dad told me that I'm a man and this person just doesn't know, you know? (laughs) So anytime someone offhandedly referred to me as a boy, the first thought in my mind was, 
this person's wrong. I'm a man. My dad told me. <laughs> so that's why I say that I was confident in my masculine identity. I never questioned my status as a man. The second way that this rite of passage weekend had a big impact on my life was actually during college. So during college, I really started to question my the way that I was raised, you know, my faith, my belief in God, because I was, you know, all of a sudden uh, surrounded by people who were raised differently than me and had different beliefs than me. And I was really nervous to go back to my parents and tell them, you know, I'm not sure that I believe in God anymore or that I want to be a Catholic anymore. I, d- I didn't want to disappoint them. I wasn't sure how they were going to react. So there was a part of me that just wanted to keep this as a secret, you know, and not tell them what I was going through. But ultimately, I remembered back to that rite of passage weekend when I was 13 years old. And all of the men during that weekend told me something along the lines of, Stephen, I want you to know that I love you unconditionally. My door is always open to you if you ever want to talk about something. If you're ever come to a point in life where you're asking questions, coming to a, a kind of a rough patch in life, I have your best interest at heart. I will never judge you. I will only ever love you unconditionally and I'll help you through it if you need help. So in college, I remembered the men saying that. And that gave me the trust and the confidence to go back to my dad and go back to my grandfather and say, hey, dad, hey, grandpa, I'm having some questions about my faith here. Why should I believe in God? You know, and they were able to help me kind of back on, get back into my faith. And they were able to share more about their own personal beliefs and why they believed in God. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I would say there's a good chance that without this weekend, I would not be a practicing Christian today mm. because it gave me that confidence to go back to my dad and go back to my grandfather and ask them those deep questions. And they were able to share more about their own faith journeys. And I would say in college, you know, even though I did go through six months of not going to church and really questioning my faith. It was also the time where I had this reversion back to the faith after that period of questioning. And I would say that was the time where um, I made the transition from having the faith of a child to having the faith of a man. You know, all of a sudden by my junior, senior year of college, I was driving myself to church, right? When I was growing up, my parents always drove me to church. It's not a bad thing. It's just how it is. When you're a kid, you have the faith of a kid. But in college, because I had this period of questioning and I had these men to rely back on and to ask them to have them help me to find answers to these questions, that's when I made the transition from having the faith of a child to having the faith of a man. And I, I feel now that my faith is, it does not depend as much on my parents. It's not as much about how I was raised. This is a personal decision that I am making now as a grown adult. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I keep hearing the wise counsel around permission, uh, knowing relationship, all these things. And what guys can do is in, and in the review of the week that Eric posted, he's like, Dan always talks about community, always talks about wise counsel. And it's true. We guys can tend to be isolated and solo 
and maybe share a little bit of your life with this person, maybe a little bit with that person, but uh, we tend to hole up inside of our own head, uh, sometimes sharing with our wife, other times not even sharing with our wives. And that's so destructive because you'll go, you went less than six months. Other guys, you know, they'll go 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And then at 40 years, you look back and you go, huh, I lost all that time. I guess I'm done. I guess, I guess there's no going back. I guess there's no fixing it. There's got, you can fix it guys, <laughs> but that's how guys feel. They feel trapped in, in the one way street that they went down and realized there was a dead end and, and that wasn't the answer. Yeah. That's why it's so important as men to have other men that we can lean on when we're going through questions like that, when we're going through a rough patch in life, we need other men that we can rely on and ask deep questions to. We also, as men need to be able to be good communicators and be in touch with our emotions. I think as men, oftentimes we're good at being that protector, that provider, you know, putting up, being stoic, showing that strong front, you know. But for a lot of guys, it's harder for us to be good communicators and say things like, I need help right now, you know? And I think that's an important part of manhood. It's that balance between strength and tenderness, right? A good man knows when to be strong and he knows when to be tender. Gosh, I wish I always knew that answer. So tough, so tough. But so there's a number of things that I picked out of the, out of the book. Uh, one of the things I liked, you had a list of things that you guys shared within your family with boys in this rite of passage ceremony. Was there one or two or three that you remember that really struck a chord with you back then? Or maybe that didn't strike a chord with you, but then as you got older, struck a chord with you? E- either way. One, one really cool thing about the rite of passage that stuck out to me was what we call the ribbon ceremony. And the ribbon ceremony, uh, every man went outside and collected a stick that was two or three feet long. And on his stick, he tied six ribbons onto it. So, uh, and then each, on each ribbon, he would, t- he would write a positive or a negative character trait. So his positive character traits might be hardworking, loyal, and friendly. His negative character traits might be lustful, greedy, and lazy. Those are just six that I'm making up. And then he would share in in a group, all the men would share why they wrote down what they wrote down. Why do they see this in themselves? The boy also has a stick, but his stick starts off completely empty. Once every man has shared, the boy goes through the circle and unties the character traits that he wants to take from these other men off of their sticks and ties them onto his stick. And this really shows, you know, as men, we have the ability to emulate certain character traits that we see in other men and learn from them, right? Uh, I think there's truth in that saying that we are the average of the five closest people to us in our lives. So ideally, the boy is left with this stick full of positive character traits. And then the men are left with these sticks that have their negative character traits on them. And the, the men take those ribbons and they actually place them in the fire. So part of the weekend is that we light a fire. The fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It represents God's presence with us throughout the weekend. So the men take their ribbons with their negative character traits on them and they place them in the fire. And this shows A, 
their desire to improve upon themselves and to burn away their negative character traits, but also B, their reliance upon God to do so, right? Not my will, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? That if we ever, if we're ever going to improve upon ourselves and become the most holy, the best version of ourselves, then we need to rely on God to help us do that. We can't do that by ourselves. So I would say that that ribbon ceremony was something that I thought was really cool at the time. And it really has stuck with me uh, throughout the years. That one is awesome because you get feedback from so many guys. And how long does it take for a person to discover their strength and weaknesses on their own? Yeah. So the, the Myers-Briggs tests and all those type things, there's something different when somebody you know that knows you well enough to tell you, this is what I see in you. Yeah. You know, part of the, um, part of the beauty of that exercise is that at no point do the men point out the negative character traits in the boy, right? We all have negative character traits. None of us are perfect, but as, as fathers, ideally our sons are going to outlive us. So it's not our job to fix our sons. It's our job to teach our sons how to fix themselves. And the first step in fixing yourself to becoming the best version of yourself is to identify, okay, what are my weaknesses? If you can't identify it, you can't improve upon it. So by giving the boy a template of how these other men in his life, they're identifying their own negative character traits, and they're making a commitment to improving upon themselves with the, with the grace of God then that's how I'm going to do this when I get, as I grow through manhood and as I grow up, you're really giving a template. You're not trying to fix your son directly. You're giving him a template on how to fix himself. Yeah. We can't tell our kids how to live. We can help guide them. Yeah. 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 When they're a little bitty, it, it, that works. But yeah, once they transition up where they, they've got their own questions and their own back and forth, yeah, we got to stop got to stop telling them and transition into being a guide for the rest of their life so that once they do reach that college stage, they can stick with you. Yeah. Often at uh, college, that's when you think your parents are the dumbest and that's probably when you need them absolutely the most. Yeah. College is really a make or break moment for a lot of relationships between parents and children, I would say. Yep. So it's tough as a parent to start in college instilling great values in them or telling them about God or the Bible or any of that stuff. Really, really important to lay the groundwork well in advance and incorporate that into your daily life and the way that that we as men live, we as dads live. We can't just tell them about it and that it's a good idea if they follow follow Christ. We've got to do it ourselves. And I think that's another reason why my dad wanted to do this at 13 years old because he knew that if he waited until 18, it was going to be too late. He wanted to do this early in our, in our lives. You know, we were 13 years old. You're finally at the cognitive ability where you're understanding the advice that's given to you, but um, you have a lot of uh, you have many years before you're actually going to get sent off to college for it to all kind of sink in. Yeah. I like that. That, you know, earlier you mentioned better sooner than too late, better sooner than too late. So yeah, at 13, that's good. At 18, I don't know that I'd hear all that stuff or even go. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah. Hey, we're doing this thing. Sorry, dad. Yeah. That's why we think 13 is the kind of the sweet spot. Now, you know, if, if you're a dad out there who, you know, your son is 15, 16 or 18 years old, I would say better late than never, you know, and you can kind of adjust the weekend to make it something that your son is going to be interested in. You know, uh, you should make the weekend your own. You shouldn't just copy ours. Uh, not that you can't, we would absolutely love it if you did, but a good rite of passage should be tailor fitted for your, your own son. That's great. That's great. So all the guys that have been listening that have daughters, like, you got anything for us? You got anything for us on our side? So the answer is yes. The girls in our family did get a rite of passage as well. I come from a family of all boys. So my dad never organized a rite of passage for a girl. Neither did, you know, my mom didn't because they only had boys, but my female cousins did get a rite of passage and, you know, obviously it involved their mother, their grandmothers, their aunts. And so it was the women that took them away instead of the men. But overall, the weekend looked very similar. It was the same kind of seven different steps, seven different rituals, uh, these discussion exercises that made up the weekend. So when my dad and I were thinking about this book, we we, cho- we chose to focus on the male version of it because we felt like that was the book that God was calling us to write. We do include a short chapter at the end about how to apply this for a female version of a rite of passage. But to answer your question, Dan, yes, uh, girls absolutely can get a rite of passage as well. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I think it's critical for kids and just overall in general to, to have that confidence of your parents told. Yeah. And you've got something in there about writing a letter also. I think the letter writing's critical as well. Yeah. So one of the sharing exercises is the giving of letters to the boy. So uh, all the men on the weekend had written me a letter, but also the adults outside of the weekend too. So my mom, my grandmother, my aunts, my boy scout troop master, my football coach at the time, they all wrote me a letter about how much I meant to them about, you know, wishing me uh, well, as I entered into this new phase in life, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a godly man, kind of an open-ended letter of support and encouragement. And my dad presented that those letters to me and said, you know, this is something that we want you to have that you can keep for the rest of your life. And I do still have those letters today in a binder in my desk, actually, and I can read them anytime I want. I, I end up reading them about once a year, you know, and every year, they kind of mean more and more to me as I've gotten older. Uh, two of my grandparents, the grandfather that we've been talking about, um, and then one of my grandmothers have passed away since my rite of passage. So having those letters mean even more to me now that I can't have a conversation with them. So that's another way that is really um, one of those rituals that adds meaning to this weekend, gives kind of puts meat on the bones for the weekend and makes it really special for the boy. I imagine some of the letters were typed and some were handwritten. Yes. Were your grandparents handwritten? You know, my grandparents all gave me handwritten letters in cursive. Yeah. So those yeah. ones, those ones took me twice as long to read, but Absolutely. they're classy, you know, th- those are uh, keepsakes. Yeah. Yeah. Treasures. So, so you didn't hold anything against them because it was hard to read. Like it made it even better. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So guys, if you're like, I don't know about writing a letter to my kid, and I'm certainly not going to write it by hand because my handwriting's terrible. Dude, write it by hand is my opinion. Yeah. Feel free and type it up, but then transfer it to hand, handwriting if you can. I agree. So yeah, letter writing is a big, big thing. And if they ever wonder, what was it that my dad said about me? What's there? Yeah. And just go back and look at it. Yeah. And feel free and write as many as you want. No reason to stop at one. So that's great. Have you got any uh, final thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? And then, as you know, we always end up with a challenge also. So any, uh, any final thoughts for the guys? My final thought is that if you're a dad out there listening to this and you want to organize a rite of passage for your son, I mean, you know, we would love it if you wrote a book, if you, I'm sorry, we would love it if you bought our book. Uh, We really lay out how to organize a rite of passage in the book. It's a how-to guide, but we also have email templates on our website. So if you go to our website, which is milestonetomanhood.com, there's a planning section on there. And the planning section is five emails that you will send out to your team of men. And these emails explain what a rite of passage is, why you want to hold one for your son, and the different rituals that are going to make up the weekend and what the men need to do to prepare for the weekend. We realized, you know, we've been holding these rite of passage weekends for the last 20 years in our family. And we've accumulated a lot of best practices, a lot of emails back and forth through the family, we thought, why don't we just clean it up a little bit and share those with the rest of the world? You know, because half of the battle is just writing those emails to explain what it is. And we thought, well, if we can just give it to them, then we've done half the work for you. We don't ask for your email address because I know some guys don't want to get spammed. They're totally free. You just go to our website and literally copy and paste them. So we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to organize a rite of passage for your son. That's awesome. That is super cool. That is a great tool as well. Uh, <laughs> I like taking somebody else's recipe and just doing it the the best I can to follow along with whatever somebody else has already. Why recreate the wheel when it's done for you already? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times we just don't know that it's done for us already. We don't know where to look. So that's a great, great tip right there. Thank you. Anything else or you want to go ahead and give them the challenge? I would say uh, the challenge for this week. Now, it's not going to apply to everybody, to all your listeners, but I think it will apply to some of them. My challenge to your listeners this week is if you're a dad listening to this, Tell your son, if he's the appropriate age, you know, between 13 and 18 years old, tell your son that you see him as a man now, that in your eyes, you no longer see him as a boy, but you see him as a man. I think that it's every father's responsibility to do that to his son before he's 18, because when a father affirms his son's masculine identity by saying, son, I want you to know I see you as a man now then your son will not feel the need to prove it to himself, right? If your son feels like he needs to prove his manhood to himself, he's going to turn to things like the sexual conquest of women, pornography, video games, violence, extreme stunts. These are all ways that boys are trying to prove their manhood to themselves. But if a father takes the initiative and affirms his son's masculine identity by simply saying, Son, I want you to know that I see you as a man now. 
then the boy does not feel the need to prove his manhood to himself to the same degree. Oh, that's a super, super strong challenge and point. I love it. I love it. Well, that was awesome. I'm so thankful to have you on and get your perspective of having been on the receiving side of the rite of passage side, as opposed to often we talk to the dads that pass stuff down. You actually got it passed down to you and got to contribute and be a co-author of of the book, Milestone to Manhood. And great book too. Easy to read. Tons of uh, tons of takeaways in there. I got notes all over the book. So yeah, really, really good. Nice job. Well, thank you. Thanks for the uh, words of encouragement. Absolutely. Absolutely. So milestonedemanhood.com guys go there check it out grab those emails and even if you're not ready to to go there um, maybe create a little spot in your email to, to save these emails so that when you're ready for it you're ready to go and and buy the book it's great to read regardless of how old your kids are or if you've got a boy or a girl uh, really really well written all right well thank you so much guys we will end it for this week and look forward to catching you next week thank you steven thanks dan you bet see you later Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.